Once a, a Sunday school teacher asked her class, how many of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm? How many of you can quote it? And most of us, we're really familiar with it. But several students, they raised their hands. And one little girl who was only four years old, just a little younger than Michaela there, and she stood up, she declared loudly, the Lord is my shepherd. I got everything I want. I mean, that's, that could be a modern translation, right? She had the words mixed up a little bit, but she understood the message perfectly. Because most everybody has heard the 23rd Psalm, no doubt. TV, movies, it gets displayed often. They use them at funerals a lot. Even if they can't quote it correctly, people have. At least you can get them started. And you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, and they'll at least maybe get that I shall not want. Well, that's a good start. You see, it's a poem that has no, there's nothing else ever been written like it. I can't, you can't compare it to anything else. It's been called the sweetest psalm ever written. Abraham Lincoln read it to cure his blues, and President Bush read it publicly to calm our nation's fears after 9-11, which we're just a, just a few days away from celebrating, the, or I say celebrating, observing the 20th anniversary. Uh, if you want to uh, see it that way. It's so the 20 years. He, uh, he, he read it. I remember that. We, we could call it the psalm that calms the soul. It does. It promises peace right in there. We're going to look at some of those things today. But since it's so familiar, we're in danger, I think, of missing the depth of its meaning. Because its setting is in the world of sheep and shepherds. And we're city slickers, most of us. Right? I mean, we don't, we don't know about a lot of those things. So sometimes it can slide right on past us. They say get involved in the culture if you really want to understand certain things about things that are done differently than the, what we do. Are you aware that the Bible refers to sheep nearly 200 times? Us as the sheep. Nearly 200 times. It's not usually a compliment. You see, sheep are usually regarded as smelly and stubborn, prone to wander, hence the need for a shepherd, right? But as we turn to the Word of God, we listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is a very personal, isn't it? He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my it overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Judy, there's your line. He followed you all the days of your life. David, the human author of this psalm, he was a shepherd in his youth. We know about the shepherd boy. However, he writes it from the perspective of sheep grazing and gazing because they kept their eye on the shepherd at their caring shepherd. The psalm moves from victories to valleys and spans all of life from the womb to the tomb, right? From start to finish. So if we could put the sermon in a simple sentence and say, if you want the calm of this psalm, you must become one of the shepherd's sheep. Simply put, 
If you want the calm of this psalm, you must become one of the shepherd's sheep. In Psalm 23, we see three main activities of the shepherd. He provides, he protects, and he preserves. So let's take a look at the first one, how he provides. He provides a relationship for us through a relationship. Look at that first phrase in verse 1. It says simply, the Lord. All right, this is the title Yahweh and was the first name revealed to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3 where he said, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent me. Ordinarily, Israelites considered this name too holy to be spoken by human lips. In fact, it was only uttered one day a year in the temple by the priests and in the most holy place of the temple. But David says the great I am is my shepherd. He claims it. You see, in the word is in there, the Lord is my shepherd, that's present tense. Meaning, the Lord is David's shepherd at that moment. So when we read it and we say, the Lord is my shepherd, we're claiming that for this moment now. It's not the Lord will be my shepherd when I need him. Not the Lord used to be my shepherd, although that might be how we speak if we really know how lost we really are. But we don't. We claim it. We say, the Lord is my shepherd. And my, that's that pronoun that says how personal he is. He's mine. You know, little children, you never have to teach them how to, uh, to, uh, to be selfish. You think about it. They say, that's, that's my toy. We don't ever have to tell a child, now, honey, now stop that. You're sharing again, right? It's always, no, you need to share your toys. You need to, they say, that's mine. But you know what? When it comes to the shepherd, he is my shepherd. You can say that. And you can tell others they can say it too, right? He's majestic and he is mine. He may seem far away, yet he calls us friend. The old saying that if it feels like God's far away, guess who moved? It was me. It wasn't him. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, shepherding was considered the lowest work. I mean, even lower than, than most low. It was an unpleasant assignment. It demanded 24-7 attention, right? Through summer and winter, in fair weather and in foul. Through summer, winter, all those seasons. They had to be right there with the sheep. Now, aren't you glad that the sovereign God has stooped to be our shepherd savior? We could ask for no better savior, no better shepherd. The second way that he provides when you have a relationship with him is he will replenish. Okay, it's right there. In verse 1, he will replenish. So you can say, I shall not want, right? Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. I mean, they don't have real estate somewhere. They don't have belongings. They don't have any of those things. But with a good shepherd, they have everything they need. And when we have the Lord, we lack nothing. So if Jesus is your shepherd, everything else is secondary. We can say it like this. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. But if I'm in want, then I'm not allowing the Lord to be my shepherd. That's, that's a hard one, but it's a truth. Psalm 34, verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Psalm 34. And one of the best definitions of contentment that I've heard is this. Contentment is not having everything you've always wanted. Contentment is wanting everything you already have. <laughs> Paul says, I've learned to be content in times of abundance and in time of lack. 
at all times, giving God praise for all things, for all times. Christian author Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, when I first rededicated my life to the Lord in 1996, we went to a mall and I found a, I don't know if it was like a books a million or some kind of a bookstore, and I asked one of the people in there, I said, who's a good Christian author? Because I wanted to get some good Christian books to start reading and fill in my mind, you know. I had a Bible, and they said, try Max Lucado, because he has a really good way of taking the real things of life and taking a biblical example and pulling them all together so that it makes sense to us. And he refers to our discontent as the prison of want. He says it like this. It's prisoners want something bigger, something nicer, faster, thinner. And he says, if your happiness comes from something you deposit, drive, drink, or digest, then you're in the prison of want. Think about it. All those things can run out. And are you hoping a change in circumstance will bring a change in your attitude? Because a lot of people are. They say, well, how are you doing today? Well, I'm just waiting for things to get better. Say, things are already better. We're just not aware of it. We're just not in that mindset. We're not thinking like that. We don't believe it yet because we haven't trusted the shepherd. But he says, if you're thinking about that, you're so locked up. You're in a cell of discontentment. Think about this. What we have in our shepherd is greater than what we don't have in our lives in our belongings, in our things. Do you believe that? Amen. After providing us with a relationship and replenishment, He also gives us rest. In verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Notice, He makes me lie down. You know, sometimes the shepherd, with those stubborn sheep, had to uh, institute forced methods of rest periods for a sheep sometimes by he'd fold their legs in a certain way that it would kind of become paralyzed for a little bit you know you get down it'd be like me trying to indian sit squat on the floor right now with cross leg you know what do they call it crisscross applesauce you'd have to pull me back up because i'd be about paralyzed sitting like that for a while because i'm not used to that right then he'd wait for a while and then it had to lie down to get some rest but a sheep cannot properly digest their food unless they lie down We've all been made to hunker down a little bit at home right now, haven't we, over the last year and a half? So maybe the shepherd has slowed us all down for a reason during this, this season we're in. We think about it, to lie down, it, uh, it, it brings a sense of rest, safety, and security, right? In Psalm 4.8, he says, In peace I will lie down to sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Philip Keller points out the best way to get a flock to chill out was to make sure a couple of conditions were met. First, freedom from fear. They cannot be in fear. By nature, sheep are nervous and fearful. But in Isaiah 43, he says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. The second thing that they need is freedom from famine, to not be worrying about where the food's going to come from. A hungry sheep is forever on its feet out looking for food. But the shepherd makes sure they're in green pastures or grassy meadows where they can feed off uh, the, witch, the rich sweet grass that's out there. And they can chew their cud while they're safely lying down in that carpeted pasture because he protects them. And after being fully fed, David writes this, He leads me beside quiet waters. Notice the shepherd doesn't push from the back, but gently leads from the front. Incidentally, sheep have to be moved or they will gorge themselves on all the grass. Sounds like a buffet some days, doesn't it? 
or going shopping when you're hungry. After eating, they're in desperate need of water because it helps to aid the digestion. And by nature, they're afraid of moving water. And they'll refuse to drink unless everything is still and quiet. And it wasn't uncommon for a shepherd to divert running water to a place to where they'd have a nice peaceful pool to drink from. But he also has to lead them to the good water because sheep would be prone to just drink out of anything. They're kind of like a dog. They'll drink out of the dirtiest, driest. You don't know what's been in there. It's polluted where they can pick up parasites and things like that. So he protects them that way. But we're kind of a lot like sheep in that way, aren't we? God has provided so much for us, and yet we often drink from a place that might harm us. In his series on Psalm 23, found on Right Now Media, it's an app you can get for your smart TVs and for your phones and things like that. If you want to know more about it, it's religious, it's Christian programming. Uh, right Now Media. Um, this is a guy named Matt Chandler who uh, has a series on there, and he says, if you listen to the voice of your own internal compulsions, then you're never good enough. You're never finished. There's always something else to get done. You're constantly having to prove yourself, and there will be no rest there. He's talking about Psalm 23. He says, if you're listening to the other voices of people who are demanding you to be more of this or less of that or stop this or start that and not listening to the voice of the shepherd, then how could you ever rest? You want rest? You want peace? Get close to the shepherd. The fourth way the shepherd provides is found in the first part of verse 3. You see, because sheep are careless, they're curious, they can be cantankerous at times. They often need to be restored. So in the first part of verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. We think about this. To restore means to bring back to a former or a normal state, to renew or revive. Around uh, the car show time, we see lots of restorations driving down the street, don't we? All them 57 Chevys and all those trucks. And just really neat to see how someone has taken the time to renew those things, to restore them to their former glory. Well, that's what here restore means. It refers, though, in the Hebrew, if you give a Hebrew comparison, to repentance. You see, David knew all about the need to be renewed because he'd committed adultery and murder. And because sheep are prone to wander, they can easily get lost. Might lead them to fall off the edge of a little cliff, and then a predator could pounce on them. Sometimes they'd simply just tip over on the uneven ground, becoming cast down. It's an actual term. You read it in the Psalms, you know, why are you so cast down, O my soul? But this is a term for sheep that are lying flat on their back, Kind of like their feet flailing in the air, right? Like if you flip a turtle over, it's kind of that same thing. In this precarious position, they would panic, and this would cause gases to build up in their body, bloating, cutting off circulation in their legs, and could lead to death if left that way. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I know it. That's crazy. So when a sheep is missing, the first thought that goes through the shepherd's mind is one of his sheep may be cast, cast off. Buzzards and coyotes, they know that a cast sheep is easy pickings. And when the shepherd finally finds the sheep, he rolls it over, lifts it to its feet. Then he kind of stands over the animal. He holds it upright and he rubs its legs and its limbs, kind of restoring that circulation. Talks to it gently. What a picture of what God does for us. He looks for us when we've wandered. He picks us back up. And when we're flat on our backs... He's there. If you're cast down today, 
or you strayed from the flock, you can repent, return away, change your thinking, go the other direction that you've been going, and allow the shepherd to restore your soul. He'll bring you back because he's faithful, and he'll put you back together. Now, the fifth way the shepherd provides is found in verse 3. After dusting us off, he sends us in the right direction. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. The word used for paths here refers to a a well-defined or a a well-worn trail. God longs to lead us in paths of righteousness. He knows the way to go. Sometimes our own paths end in destruction. But most of us know the right road we should take, but our selfishness and our sinfulness, and sometimes we just get impatient waiting for God, and often that leads us astray. But we need the shepherd to guide us in the right way, in the right direction, because like sheep, we have that no sense of direction, really, sometimes on our own. And if we don't go his way, we will go astray. Think of that. If we, if we don't go his way, we are tend to go astray. But I love that God feeds and leads us for His glory, for His fame, for His holy name, for His name's sake. If you want the calm of this psalm, you must become one of the shepherd's sheep. So we've looked at five different ways He provides relationship, replenishment, rest, restoration, and righteousness. Now let's look at how He protects His flock, because there's protection in that. When we come to verse 4, we see a couple changes. In verses the first, verses 1 through 3, the sheep are in the sunshine. Everything is well. I shall not want. He leads me. I'm out there. And then in verse 4, they're in the shadows. God not only provides for us through those good sunshiny times, but He protects us through the dark seasons of life. He leads us through the glen and the gorge. Right? A gorge can be a desperate really dangerous place and the glen is just that place where you could run and have no fear whatsoever in case the city i'm i'm breaking it down for us city slickers okay but notice how things change in the first half david is he's talking about the virtues of the shepherd he's saying he and his referring to to god to yahweh but when we come to the second half he speaks to the shepherd more personally he says you are with me your rod and your staff You prepare. You anoint. When times were tough, God became really real to David. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. The promise-keeping God protects us when we face the problems. And He he gives us these three promises right here. Look at verse verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That phrase, even though, can be translated... When? When I walk. We say it's not if troubles come, it's when they come. Right? But he says the idea is we will go through valleys like we are right now with this whole virus thing and all the stuff that we're going through. This is a valley. The idea and the picture here is the shepherd leading his sheep through the rocky ravines and the narrow gorges where the long shadows would dance across the trail. And it sometimes would scare the sheep because sheep, they get scared real easy. The experienced shepherd knows that this is where the predators wait in ambush for some fresh lamb chops. There is a place in Israel. It is the actual, what they call, the valley of the shadow of death. And at one time, it was the only passage through that area. And people that had to pass from one direction to another knew that that was the only road in and out. And so did the thieves. 
They were the predators. They knew that there were going, that people were going to have to go through there. What were they probably doing? Transporting their merchant things and stuff like that, their belongings. So observe, we walk through the valley, not to the valley, see how intimidating it is and turn around and go back the other way. He says through. We don't have to stay there, in other words. But we must keep walking, like we mentioned. We must keep trusting and believing and obeying. And keep walking. Through the blackness, there is brightness. Through the gloom, there is glory. And in one sense, the shadow of something is more ominous than what it represents. I love those old Tom and Jerry cartoons. You know, the one where little Jerry the mouse would be standing and he'd cast a shadow on that wall and he'd make his teeth look all big and scary and his arms up there like that and there was like a candle off a ways off and he'd be that and Tom would be like thinking there's some big monster coming. You know what, am I relating to an audience that can, you know what I'm talking about. You see, on the other hand, the shadow of a dog, it can't bite you. The shadow cannot bite you, Right? And the shadow of death cannot harm us if we stay close to the shepherd. Think about this. When there's a shadow, there has to be light somewhere. Right? Don't miss that God leads us through the shadows just as He leads us into the promised land. Also, this valley is but the shadow of death. Put, put quotation marks and italicize that if you need to. It's the shadow of the valley of death. It's not the valley of death. Right? It's, it's, it's not money, it's the love of money. You see the emphasis? Okay? It's the shadow of death. But for the Christian, 1 Corinthians 15.55 reminds us that the Redeemer has removed the sting of death. Only the shadow of it remains. And in John 8.51, Jesus says, Whoever keeps my word will not see death. And then in John 11, He says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So it's just the shadow Right? The second way the shepherd protects is by his presence. David can deal with the shadow of the valley of death because he can say, You are with me. He's not going through it alone. You see, the shepherd goes before us when the path is smooth and he stands beside us when the path is scary. We have had people who have been at the hospitals and having to go through things, and they say, We say, You are not alone. He's going through this right there beside you with, with you. And that hope alone brings people to be able to say, I'm, I'm getting discharged from the hospital, I'm healthy, and I'm going home. I'm going to live my life and we'll praise God. We just had word of that from Carol and Johnny Jones this week. Johnny was in the hospital with COVID and pneumonia, double pneumonia, she told us, and had uh, really high liters of oxygen that he was having to be on. And his O2 would drop whenever they'd take it off of him. And just all kinds of problems. In fact, they were saying that where they live in their little town up in Indiana, at the hospital they were at originally, they were just saying, there's nothing else we can do for you. They're just going to have to let him die. That was what Carol told us. His bride of, of over 40 years has said, I, I can't believe they're saying they're just going to let this happen because they say there's nothing else they could do. So they finally got him to get into Norton, Norton's hospital. And Norton started doing some things that needed to be done in order to help him. And she called us because she had been here to one of the, a couple of the revivals and, and said, we know you guys pray, so will you pray? She called us like 11 o'clock at night. I think Melissa mentioned this last, last week. And I, 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 I'm here to tell you that she texted us yesterday afternoon and said, we're getting our discharge papers. He's going home, going back to their house. Because they said, we've done some good things and we feel like you're going to heal up even better being at home because you can rest in peace in your home and not have everybody coming in to wake you up so you can take a sleeping pill or take your temperature or whatever it needs to do, you know. 
So it says the antidote to anxiety is to stay close to the shepherd, right? I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken, Psalm 16.8. We sang that this morning. I will not be shaken. Why? Because we know that He's right there with us. The promise we get here is not a life without pain. It's that in our pain, regardless of what that pain is, He will be with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13. So we can confidently say the Lord is He's my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? David continues, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod, now think about this, was used to protect the sheep. Shepherds were very good with their aim. And uh, they'd throw this club. It was like a club that they would throw at attacking animals. They'd gotten real good at it. Now the staff... That's the thing that we're familiar with, the shepherd's crook. It's a long, slender stick, a pole, if you will. has a little crook at the end of it. It could be hooked around the leg of a sheep to help pull it back into an area or get it from harm. It was also used to lift the sheep up out of the crevices if they'd fallen into something. Now, the rod was used to confront, while the staff showed care. The rod provided protection, and the staff communicated his presence the rod was tough the staff was tender in fact i read that a shepherd would use the rod with his sheep on two occasions one was to help him count the sheep as they'd pass under the rod to make sure that they were all there all were present and the other was to discipline them when nothing else worked spare the rod spoil the child man god's word just has all these references in there and we wonder where they come from in verse 5, the third way the shepherd protects is through preparation. David writes, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Another reason why I chose that song. As soon as I read that, I was like, we got to do that song. It says, You prepare a table. We sang it before me in the presence of my enemies. Some suggest that David is switching a metaphor here to that of a gracious dinner host. Might be something to that, but he could be using a common expression to describe what a shepherd does to prepare the pasture. Let's, let's keep the city slicker version and the, uh, the, the shepherd version. Okay, so we're back on the shepherd side. Ideally, the best place for the sheep to graze is a, a good flat area, like on a mesa. And before letting the, uh, the little ones run around and do their thing, he would inspect, the shepherd would inspect for poisonous plants, make sure there were no predators pulling around, just kind of making sure the area is secure and safe for them. Now, the sheep can eat there even though there are enemies nearby because the shepherd is doing his job, right? Reminds me of the young boy who was messing around at dinner time. and After being warned several times, his parents told him that he was going to have to eat by himself at a tiny table over in the corner. And his dad set him down. He reminded him he needed to pray before he ate. And so the little boy closed his eyes and he said, Bless this food that I'm about to eat in the presence of my enemies. I think he was feeling a little attacked at the time, right? But the word enemy can mean to bind up, to tie up, to be distressed or troubled, to be oppressed. We're at war right now with an invisible virus that is stalking us, but God is bigger than that. This is only a shadow. This is only a shadow. I know it's real, and I know there are consequences, and I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. But I'm praying that God's going to bring revival to our people, to our church, to our cities, to the world to hospital rooms, 
where people are just getting up out of bed and they're healed in Jesus' name. The fourth way the shepherd protects is through prevention. The middle section of verse 5, it says, You anoint my head with oil. If David is referring to a dinner party, he has in mind the generous host who puts fragrant oil on his esteemed guest's forehead. This was a, a tradition that was practiced. This would help neutralize body odor that could spoil a fine dining experience. In our culture, it'd be like, hey, welcome to the party. Here's a stick of deodorant, right? <laughs> but in that day, oil was also used as a sign of rejoicing. The oil of gladness, we read. So to be anointed with it was to be splashed with joy. And while that puts some light on the meaning of this text, David is still in the sheep and shepherd relationship. He's deep in it. In ancient Israel, shepherds used oil for three purposes. To repel insects, because that oil on the sheep would keep those bugs and the flies away. They like, those flies like to deposit their eggs inside the nostrils of the sheep. And so when he would put that oil on him, it would, it would keep the flies away. And second, it would be to prevent conflict. You think about the, uh, the rams. You've seen the videos of the rams butting their heads together, trying to win the affection, uh, saying, I love you, E-W-E, right? That's a bad pun. Don't, don't even acknowledge that. <sighs> but he knew there was going to be trouble when he'd start to hear that. So he could quickly put some of that oil on their heads so that the gladiators would guide off of, glide off of each other. Uh, rather than uh, cracking their heads open. Right? And the third thing was to heal wounds. Oil was used as an ointment because the flock, they'd get into a lot of different places where they could get cuts and, and uh, little things like that from the pasture, uh, from the thorns and different things, and abrasions from the rocks. So the oil would prevent infection and help speed up, speed up the healing process. What a beautiful picture that the shepherd does for us. He deals with our problems by protecting us from those things that can wipe us out. He helps us have harmony with others. And He comforts and He heals us when we're beat up, when we're broken down. So we're kind of like those wounded sheep in need of a healing shepherd. So let me ask, do you have any wounds today? If you want the calm of this psalm, you have to become one of the shepherd's sheep. Now our shepherd provides and He protects and He also preserves us in two ways. He preserves us in help for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. Let's look at the help for today. The last part of verse 5, my cup overflows. That word overflow, that refers to an overabundance or a state of overflowing. If you've ever filled something too full to where it starts to run out, that means it's got all it can hold, but you're, it's just overflowing. The amplified version of the Bible says, my brimming cup runs over. It means it was already full, but now it's filled to overflowing. The cup has a couple of different meanings. A shepherd would often carry water to drink, that he would share it with his sheep. He'd be generous because he knew they have to have liquid for the digestion and uh, for hydration. Otherwise, they'd die. The other meaning may be that of a dinner host. I thought this one was really interesting because I, I can see a parallel to our own culture. But think about this. A dinner host who would serve drinks in cups and fill them to the brim. This was a common way to tell guests that they could... They could stay as long as they wanted. But when a cup sat empty, the host was probably hinting that it was time to leave. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a couple, two or three refills? The fellowship is so great at the restaurant table that you just don't want to leave. But all of a sudden, they've stopped coming and filling your cups 
Have you ever noticed that? I've noticed that. Because we had this little thing that we would set the cup out to the edge of the table to communicate, I would like to have this refilled. And I move that, because you know, sometimes they're just looking as they go by. They see an empty cup, they want to fill it. But my cup has sat there empty. But we've probably been there 20, 30 minutes beyond what we probably should have. Now, we are being cognizant and making sure there's not a line out the door and we're hogging a table. You know, tables are clearing. But my cup, it didn't get filled back up. And I read about this, that culturally, when the host did, didn't want them to be there anymore, he stopped filling their cup, thinking, well, if they don't have anything to drink, then they'll leave. When the host really enjoyed the company of the guests, he filled their cups until the liquid ran over the edge of the cup and onto the floor. And that's a lot like God. He loves to lavish his blessings on us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's God. More than we could ever ask or think. In the beginning of verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That word surely there, that's an expression that can be translated, Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Indubitably. The goodness and mercy of God are two of the most comforting attributes of God, especially when we're walking through the valley. Goodness refers to well-pleasing. I like the familiar saying, y'all know it, God is good all the time and all the time. <laughs> we could go back and we just keep that going, couldn't we? It'd be like the song that never ends. Because His goodness never ends. See, we stop after that first time, but we could just keep on going. We'd be here all day, just back and forth. Mercy, though, that's a covenant term. It's often translated as His loving kindness. It's beautifully repeated 26 times in a Psalm 136. Loving kindness and mercy. As recipients of His mercy, you see, mercy, we don't, des we don't receive what we deserve. We deserve something else, but He gives us instead what He wants to give us. If God gave us justice, we'd be consumed by His righteous wrath. Now, to think about this, to follow, follow me all the days of my life, literally means to pursue or chase after. What's that bridge in that song we sang at the end? Your goodness and your mercy, they are running after me. They're running after me. That's what it means when it says those things are going to follow us. They're running after us. One paraphrase puts it like this. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. What a picture. Aren't you glad God chases us with His goodness and His mercy and not what we really deserve? You see, goodness supplies our sustenance. It sustains us while mercy blots out our sins. We didn't deserve that. We deserved death. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the shedding of His blood, He gave us mercy. And so that blots out our sins. <clears throat> Not only is there going to be goodness and mercy that's following me, it's there every morning when I get up and I turn around and there it is again. I turn around and there's goodness. Turn the other way, there's mercy. I blow it and there's goodness and mercy still following after me. I get exhausted, and there's still goodness and mercy. I get all frazzled. Guess what? Goodness and mercy. They're still chasing after me. They're still following after me. I snap at my spouse or my children. Guess what? Mercy and goodness are still following after me. God is that good. His goodness and His mercy, that's what led Jesus to the cross where the Good Shepherd gave life for His sheep. And He's pursuing you right now. 
in order to give you more than you need and certainly more than you deserve. But He's good like that. We can have help for today and hope for tomorrow. Last phrase of verse 6, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word dwell means to reside, to settle down, to be at home with. And that word shall in there is a promise. It will happen for those who are His sheep. The sheep have been following the shepherd to green pastures and through the shadowy problems. The flock is now ready to winter in the safe harbor of the good shepherd's home. They're so satisfied with the flock they belong to and with the ownership of the shepherd that they want everything to just go on forever. And for those of us who are saved, Jesus, the good shepherd, promises in John 10, 28, I give you eternal life. You will never perish and no one will snatch you out of my hand. So as we're coming into a close here, let's look at three little lessons from this message today. Number one, you want the calm of this psalm? Join the shepherd's flock. If you're not already a part of it, it can happen right now. The Lord is looking for lost sheep right now. And if you've never asked Him to save you from your sins and to shepherd you in your life, then you're not yet in His flock. But Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. So let me ask you, do you know the shepherd? All right. Did you know that in order to become the good shepherd, Jesus first had to become a sheep? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29 So will you turn away from the way things have been, thinking on your own, walking on your own, and receive Jesus as your Savior? So He will be your shepherd, providing help for today and hope for tomorrow. Maybe you've already done that, but there's still something else that's needed in your life. Second thing we learned from this is you need to stay close to the shepherd. I'm told some sheep come to the shepherd daily to rub up against his legs and wait for a pat on the head. Sheep that stay close to the shepherd, they reach the water first. And those next to the shepherd get to the sweetest grass first. And they're near to him when fear is high. But most of all, they get to enjoy life with the shepherd by their side. When we stay close to the shepherd, he will make sure all of our needs are met. Unfortunately, some of us like to stray. And as a last resort, a shepherd will discipline a straying sheep by putting a leg across his rod and with one quick motion, give it a snap, break that leg. Because the sheep can't walk, he then carries the sheep. You've maybe seen pictures of Jesus as the good shepherd with a sheep over his shoulders. Because that sheep cannot walk, he can, the shepherd carries that sheep from field to field, pasture to pasture, sometimes even putting him on his shoulders. And as a result, the sheep becomes so used to becoming close to the shepherd that he can't imagine going his own way ever again. Perhaps the Lord is disciplining you right now. If so, it's not to punish you, but to bring you back to his side. You see, we have to have a greater dependency upon the shepherd. 
We can do that by staying close to Him. 1 Peter chapter 2, 25 says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the last thing He provides is the things that we need to do is to stay and follow wherever He leads. The shepherd has a plan for you. He wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. So are you willing to follow Him regardless of the direction that He takes you? Even if it seems unfamiliar, it's familiar to Him. In the late 1800s, entertainment consisted of traveling groups of actors who went from town to town. And one such actor went to a small Midwestern town. The town hall was packed. The audience was wildly enthusiastic as the speaker recited passages from great plays, poems, and literature. Now at the end of the performance, they shouted for more. They were on their feet. The actor agreed to take a few requests. Immediately, a hand shot up from an older man with a weather-beaten face. And he said, would you, could you, please recite the 23rd Psalm? The actor thought for a minute and he said, I'll do it on one condition. After I've finished, you'll come up here and recite it also. Thinking that this might deter the response. But the old man agreed. So puzzled, the actor began going from his memory. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And as he continued, he infused the words with all of the grammatical trickery of his art, speaking eloquently. As he continued, one by one, the phrases known and loved by all rolled off his tongue, glistened like shiny pure silver. And when all the words of this sweet psalm were finally delivered, with oratorical relish because he took great pride in what he was doing. The audience gave the actor yet another standing ovation. Then the man who had requested the psalm was asked to come up. His face was plain. He wasn't handsome. And his voice was thick and uncultured. Yet as he began to speak, his face started to glow and love almost leapt from his mouth as he quoted the words. When he concluded, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The only sound in the room was of people crying. The silence was finally broken when the actor stepped forward and said, now you know why. I wanted him to follow me. You see, I know the psalm. But this man clearly knows the shepherd. So let me ask you. Do you know the shepherd? If you want the calm of this psalm, you must become one of the shepherd's sheep. Or if you want to be restored, brought back to restoration with Him, 
then this is also a time for you. But you can enter that relationship with Him no matter at the beginning or the middle or what you feel like is toward the end. Would you all stand with me? Timeline, the beginning, the middle, or the end of what you felt as a relationship. You can start it fresh and new. Just with something like this, you could just pray along with me. Lord, I've been straying for a long time. Just living my life my own way. I confess I'm in need of a Savior. And I repent. I turn away from how I've been living. Jesus, thank You for dying on the cross as the Lamb of God for me. Shedding Your blood to pay the price for all my sin. And for rising from the dead on that third day as You promised. Thank You for Your goodness and for Your mercy that You've been pursuing me with. Now I surrender to You by asking You to save me from my sins. I welcome You into my life so that I can become one of Your sheep and dwell in Your house forever. And in the meantime, enable me to stay close to You, my shepherd, my gentle shepherd. As you feed me and lead me, you provide and protect and preserve me all for your name's sake. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now I tell you, and this is for anyone who may be watching online today or anytime after this, if you prayed that prayer, would you tell a friend? And then email us. You can email us. Send us an email at rivercityhopechurch at gmail.com or go to our website and contact with us. We want to support you and celebrate what the Lord is doing as you begin this new chapter in your life. And if you made a recommitment today, share it with somebody. Thank you for joining us online and here with us in person today. May God lead you protect you, preserve, and provide for you as you stay close to Him until we meet again.